Amen. Good morning, everybody. You guys hear me okay? If you're ever wondering why you are here this morning, we are here because we are going to lift the name of Jesus as high as possible. Jesus is the one who saved us. He's the one who gives us hope. He's the one that gives us a future. Every breath that we take is a gift from God. And the reason why we come here together is because we want to proclaim that. We want to hear what it is that Jesus has prepared for us to hear, but at the same time that we will be able to live lives that are a reflection of who Jesus is. And so if you're wondering why you're here this morning, I'm going to tell you, you are here because God allowed you to be here and that the result of this interaction that we're going to have this morning will be for the extension of Jesus's kingdom and for the glorification of his name. So glad to be here. Um, thank you for being here. If you're here for the first time, I don't know if anyone's here for the first time, but we want to make this as, as non-awkward as possible. And so I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. If you're here for the first time, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand when I count to three. You're going to lift your hand and you're going to put it right back down. So, And we're just going to give you a big round of applause because we're so glad that you're here this morning. So I'm going to count to three. Hand up, down, and we're going to clap. All right? One, two, three. If you're here for the first time, all right? God bless you. I'm not sure if that was actually a hand, but it doesn't matter. This is because what we do is two things. One is we want to make sure that you know that we're so glad that you're here. And also what we're trying to do as a church is we're trying to create a culture in the sense that, that we want to be a church that not only is accepting that new people are here, but also that we're understanding that this is part of the reason why we exist. We want for new people to come into contact with us. We want uh, more and more people to come into contact uh, with Jesus. We want more and more people to be baptized because, hey, I don't know about you guys, but I have a salvation story, my salvation story. And I don't want to be uh, selfish with that salvation story because the salvation that I'm a part of, I want for every single person in this city to be able to experience that. How many of you guys are with me? All right. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to welcome everyone. We've already done this. People online, we love you so much. Uh, people who are here uh, uh, physically, we are so happy that you're here. We also have a group of people over here that are in their cars. They're in their cars and they're listening, listening to us through the radio, which is awesome. So if you guys could just honk your horns real quick just to make sure that, that we're listening. All right. There we go. There we go. So welcome, 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 everybody. A couple things I want to say before we get started is that my heart... My heart is so, so full of gratitude for this church. And let me explain why. Let me explain why. How many of you guys were here last Sunday? Okay, a nice group of you. Last Sunday, last Sunday, I'm calling last Sunday a beautiful chaos. Last Sunday was a beautiful chaos because it was a chaos, but it was also beautiful. Now, if you were here for first service, it was windy, it was kind of crazy. But for second service, oh my gosh. We had bloody fingers, we had speakers falling down, we had cars dying, we had wind. It was so distracting. I don't know if anyone even heard anything of my, of my message, but here's, the, here's what happened. is I walked away, I was going home, and my heart was full. I felt so happy, and I was wondering why I felt so happy. And the reason why I felt so happy is because this church is absolutely amazing. We have made so many changes 
And you guys have been so flexible. You guys have been so gracious with everything that we're doing. And even though it is possible that we may disagree on some things, as long as we come together with the main thing, which is the blood of Jesus and the bread, we can come around the table and have communion together and agree on that one thing. You guys have proved as a church that we can come together no matter what. And also that the church is not about a building. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I just love that because we're not just talking about it. You guys have been amazing. And so I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, and this comes from our elders and our staff and myself, thank you for being this church. I feel incredibly honored to be a part of this church who understands why we're here. We get it. So this is what we're doing. We're following in the, in the footsteps of Jesus. And so I want us to go to a scripture today, a scripture um, from the gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, open them up. If you don't, that's okay. You can open up your mobile devices. And if uh, you don't have a Bible, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it so, um, so we can come together in this amazing moment in the life of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 9, and we've read this before, but this is, this is something that I feel is going to be very helpful for us today. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Verse 35, it says this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, just to send out workers into his harvest field. So we're in a series that we've called Vision 2021, Vision 2021. And we've been talking about faith. And I, and I said this last week that we're praying that 2021 will be the year of faith. Because I don't know about you, but we have no idea what 2021 is going to be like. Like we are literally Peter walking on water and saying, hey, I don't know if this is going to work or not. But you know what? I'm going to go out and step out there because I believe that Jesus is going to do some amazing things in your life and in the life of our church. I'm praying for, for a revival. I pray for a revival every single day. And so here's the thing about faith. We're calling 2021 the year of faith. Now, it's very important to understand that, that when we talk about faith, we're not telling God what to do. We're just doing our part in believing. Because we see in the scriptures, in the, in the New Testament, we, we see 25 events in the life of Jesus to where he attributes direct responsibility to the faith of the person into his action. Meaning, your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you because of your faith. And now, I understand, we can't tell God what to do, but I want to do my part in believing that next year we're going to see more baptisms than we've ever seen that we're going to see more marriages restored than we've ever seen, that we're going to see more baptisms than we've ever seen, that we're going to see so many people finding hope than we've ever seen. Now, God's going to do what he's going to do, but I'm going to believe, and I want to ask you to believe with me, that 2021 is going to be the year of faith. We're believing for this, and we're praying for it. And so we've been talking about that, and we're also talking about our core values as a church. In other words, the things that we hold important as a church. And we have seven things that we've been talking about with our staff that are the most important things. And we put some language to it. Jesus, number one, Jesus is our pursuit. That's number one. You can take notes if you want. Number two, hope is our flag. Number three, people are our passion. Number four, worship is our spirit. Number five, service is our heartbeat. Number six, generosity is our privilege. And number seven, excellence is our standard. So last week we talked about Jesus being our pursuit. 
And today, we're going to talk about people being our passion. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can be in the middle of the city proclaiming your name. I, I, I praise you for that, God, because we may feel like this is common, but it's not. The fact that we can worship, that we can gather in the middle of the city with so many people listening, maybe even in their homes right now, I thank you for that because you allow for us to do that. I pray today, God, that our hearts will be open, that our minds will be receptive for your word, that I'll do an, an accurate or a good job of explaining what it is that you want to communicate to your church this morning, God. I thank you, Lord, because you give me this enormous responsibility, but also this enormous privilege. And I pray, God, that you will do what only you can do through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. So I want to start off with a question. Have you ever been uh, in a hurry? In a hurry, like like you're in a hurry, and all, and and you're in a hurry. Like you you gotta do, you gotta get something done, and you can't do it because there's so many people. Like there's so many people online, or you're driving in your car, and there's so many, there's so much traffic, or you're hitting all red lights, and over and over again you see so many people, or you're in the grocery store and you're waiting in line, and you've got ten people, and there's then there's this lady that she seems to just having a conversation with a cashier, and you're like, don't you understand that we're all in a hurry here? And all of a sudden she takes out a checkbook. And I'm like, wait, who uses a checkbook in 2020? But then you have to be patient and you have to wait. And you see all these people, maybe you're thinking about COVID and you're thinking about these crowds and you, and you get tense when you see crowds together and you're wondering why people are leaving California because it is so crowded. So over and over and over we see this and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I see a crowd, I get tense. And so I see this amazing contrast between the way that, that I react when I see a crowd and how Jesus reacts when he sees a crowd. When I see a crowd, I get tense. When Jesus sees a crowd, he feels compassion. He sees people and he feels compassion for them. You see, when we talk about Jesus being our pursuit, it means that we need to, we need, our heart needs to break for the things that break the heart of Jesus. So when we see a crowd, when we see people, we should have compassion on them. We should, we should seek and we should want for the pain, the things that cause Jesus' pain to be our pain, which means the pain of others, that your pain will be my pain, that your joy will be my joy, that your struggle will be my struggle. This connection between people and understanding that we need to have compassion. So when we're talking about, about uh, people being our passion, we have to think about the whole idea of, of what, what, what broke the heart of Jesus was people far from him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm more concerned about myself. This is a big deal. And this is not a footnote in the Gospels. This is a big deal. And if it's a big deal for Jesus, it should be a big deal for us. Matthew 22, we've read this before. Teacher, this is the lawyer asking Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So think about two pillars. There's one pillar here, which is loving people. And there's another pillar over here, which is loving God. And everything is sustained by these two pillars. Everything, the law, the prophets, all the things that we talk about are either held up or fall down as a result of whether we love God and love people. First John chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Dear friends, 
Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Listen to this. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. So, so, so you can't, this verse is saying that you can't know God if you don't love people. So the knowledge of God comes not as a result of all the things that we may think that are important, which is church attendance, which is great, Bible reading, which is very important, with growth groups, super essential, listening to messages, all these things are, are good. But it's saying here that the knowledge of God, the true knowledge of God, comes as a result of loving others. Don't tell me that you love God if you can't love your neighbor. The Bible teaches us that knowledge of God is directly proportional to our love for others. It says, whoever doesn't love doesn't know God. So today I want to talk about this. I want to talk about what it means for, for people to be our passion. What does it mean for us as a church for, for people to be our passion? And I, I'm nervous because I think that this message might make you uncomfortable. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It makes me uncomfortable, the things that I'm going to share today. You see, when we welcome new people at our church, I'm super excited. You're here for the first time, I'm super excited. We clap, we jump around, we greet you. We, we, you know, we're happy because we love you, right? But here's the thing. Love is much trickier than we think that it is. Because love, you know, you can smile, you can clap, you can sing it. You may think love is a feeling. Hey, I feel this. Oh, man, I love you so much, dude. Like, I love you, right? But, but what does it truly mean? Like, is God commanding us, because he commands us to love one another. Is he commanding us to feel love? He's actually not commanding us to feel love. He's commanding us to love, which is very important to make this distinction. And the reason why it's important to make this distinction is because some people are very hard to love. Some people are hard to love. It's really hard to love some people. Or it's really hard to feel love for some people. Sometimes you, you have to just love them, which is an action. Yep. But feeling it may come later. Hey, it may never come. <laughs> We're commanded to love. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, this is a part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which is like common knowledge, right? You've heard it said, right? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, love those who love you and don't love those who don't love you. Like, why would you? Then verse 44 says, but I tell you, it says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, sometimes we read these verses over and over again and we're not getting what it's saying. I'm going to read it again. But I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Wait, what? This has got to be a figure of speech, right? Nope. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? So, so where's the difference if we love those who are lovable? Right? Doesn't everyone else do it? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? You see, love is a slippery slope. It's easy to love those who are lovable. It's easy to love those who you feel love for. I have a group of friends. We do a lot of things together. We go on vacation together. Our, we have 
our ages are about the same, our kids are about the same age, we go on vacations together, we spend Christmas together, we do Thanksgiving together, it's super easy to love them because they're so similar to us. Like we have so many things in common, like we, we'll bring stuff, they'll bring stuff, so it just, it makes it so easy. And it's great to have that type of friends. It's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is not what the scripture is talking about. He's saying, how do we make a difference as Christians if we do the exact same that pagans do, the same thing that everyone else does, which is love those who are easy to love? That's not the challenge. That's easy. Nothing wrong. Tax collectors, pagans do it. You could be a Satan worshiper and you would understand this principle. So this is not what Jesus is commanding us to do. We are called to love and pray for that person who makes your life hard. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have that person in your life, and I'm certainly not going to ask you to point. But I think that it's very possible that we all have this person or these people that are hard to love. And so Jesus is challenging you this morning to do something about that. Because if you want to know God, and if you want to truly love God, you have got to love the unlovable. But pastor, how can I love that person? This question is tricky because you think, and I think, that love is a feeling. No one's asking you to feel love. It's not the challenge. We're asked to love. But pastor, that person has done nothing to deserve my love. In fact, he has done everything to deserve for me to hate him. Good. That's a great opportunity for you to be able to get to know God in a way that you've never known Him before and to get to love God in a way that you've never loved Him before. Now, parenting helps me understand this because I have a theory. I think that, that children from ages 0 to 3 do everything in their power to make their parents hate them. There's poop everywhere. There's vomit. There's pee. There's changing diapers. There's drawing crayons on the walls. There's sleepless nights. They do everything in their power to make their parents to hate them, right? But what happens? It doesn't change anything. Like your, your love for your children remains intact. You love them anyway. You see, in my life, I did everything possible to make God hate me. Everything. And in spite of everything that I did for, to make God hate me, he, he, he received me, he brought me in his arms, he embraced me just like the prodigal son. He cleaned me up and he, and he accepted me. You see, when we think about this and we think about the challenge of loving others, this is what we need to think of. Like we have to put our minds not on what the other person did to us, but we have to put our minds on what Jesus did for us. That changes everything. You see, the reason we struggle to give love is because we are focusing on the wrong subject. You see why it's so hard to, to, to give love? is because we're focusing on the wrong subject. You see, the problem is that we think that our motivator on whether to love or to not love should be the person that we're having difficulty loving or not loving. So if that person is lovable, it's easy to love. But if that person is not lovable, that person's not giving me anything. Like, what do I have to feed off to be able to love that person? Well, that's the answer to that is you don't focus on the person. You focus on Jesus and what he did for you. And then you make that the impulse to, to give love to that person. That's how we change the world. That's how we make a difference. That's how the person will look at, look at us and say, wait a minute. 
what, what, why did that person love that way if that person did that to the other person? And they're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's how we make the difference. It becomes illogical. It becomes irrational. Just like what Jesus did for us. That's how we change the world. You see, 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because He first loved us. This is such an important statement. We don't love because the person deserved to be loved, and this will change you. This will change you. We love, we don't love because the, the person finally accepted their fault. We don't love because the person finally asked you for forgiveness. We don't love because they finally agreed with me. We don't love because they have changed. No, we love because Jesus first loved me. Period. It's so important for us to remember our former condition. Ephesians 2.1 says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Dead. What can a dead person do? Nothing. Nothing. Hopeless. You see, Jesus took the initiative with us. He stepped out and took the initiative with us. We couldn't do anything for ourselves. And Jesus looked at us just like a father looks at his child who is all full of poop and snot and crying and making this whole mess. And he brings us and he cleans us up and he makes a difference and he accepts us. You see, the only way for us to truly love and for people to be our passion is to look at the cross. It's the only way. 1 John 4.20 says this, whoever claims, whoever claims, listen, whoever claims, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Yeah. Strong statement. You see, you may be here and you may be deceived. It's conceivable that you may think that you know God. It's conceivable that you may be here and you think that you love God. But you actually don't. I actually don't. So how will you know if you love God? According to the scriptures, how will I know if I love God? Well, the evidence of the knowledge of God is your love for others. My evidence for my knowledge of God is my love for others. And not loving those who are lovable, but those who are unlovable. That's why this whole thing is a huge challenge. That's why it makes us so uncomfortable, because that's the evidence. That's how we make a difference. That's how we become different from the world. So here's the question. Is there anyone that you feel that you are unable to love? You know, if there's someone in your life that you're unable to love, and I'm not saying this is easy. This is hard. This is very hard. But if there's anyone in your life that you find yourself unable to love, that actually says more about your relationship to God than it says about your relationship to the person. You see, 1 John 4.20, I'll read this again. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God, cannot love God whom they have not seen, cannot. So he's not, he's not saying that it's going to be difficult. Like, hey, if you don't love your neighbor, then it's going to be harder to love God. No, no, no. He's saying there's no way. He's not presenting a challenge. He's presenting an impossibility. This can't happen. You can't know God if you don't love your neighbor. So if there's anyone, is there anyone in your life that you can't seem to love? Verse 21 says this, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You see, in these divisive times, it makes it more and more difficult to 
to maintain healthy relationships. And I, and I get it. it. It's difficult. That's why I was talking earlier about our church being such a good example at this because we're able to set aside some of the things and opinions and we, we're coming together, you know. But, it, but this is a hard time. This is not true for everyone. You see, sometimes we see people and we, we don't feel that they deserve our compassion because that's like, oh man, he's such a jerk. Why would I ever do anything for him or her? It's hard. But Jesus, he saw the crowd. Imagine this. I just had this thought. Imagine this. He sees the crowd and Jesus sees everything. Like he sees every single sin that separates them from Jesus. He sees everything and he looks at them and the one feeling of all the feelings that he could ever have is compassion. Imagine how you feel about that person that wronged you. I get it. I'm not trying to downplay it. Imagine what Jesus could have felt with that entire crowd. But he feels compassion. So here's the challenge. Who are you having trouble with? Who are you disagreeing with? Who is that person that when you see them, you want to go the other direction? My challenge to you this morning is love them. How? How do I love them? Don't look at them. Don't look at what they've done. Don't look at what they owe you. Don't look at how they hurt you. Because Jesus didn't do that to you. Jesus didn't do that to me. He overlooked everything and he paid the price. Again, I'm not saying it's easy, but this is how we know God. This is how we truly love God. So I want to challenge you before I end. I'm going to come to a, to a conclusion right now. Here's what I did last week. You see, here's the problem. When you're preparing a message, this, is, this will help you, Francis. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you go through this too, and, and Mark as well. Like, when you're preparing a message, if you're honestly preparing a message, and you don't just want to be a talking head, God's going to challenge you as you're preparing the message. He's like, okay, you're going to preach to these people about this? You better get your act together first. And so that's what happened to me this week. So I texted a person, a person I was having trouble with, trouble with, trouble, trouble, trouble with. And I, I texted this person. And I said, you know what, man? I just want to tell you that I love you and I miss you. That was it. And his answer was, are you dying? <laughs> Sounds like you're dying, dude. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I just wanted to remind you that these things are still true. And you know what happened to me? Something inside of me changed. Something shifted. I honestly felt like I knew God better. And I honestly felt like I loved God better. Because it helped me understand, not in my brain, all the truth is about God, but it helped me understand in my heart all the things that God overlooked in order to reach out to me. You see, when we understand this, and we approach people, and we approach our relationships, not thinking about the thing that the person owes you or the thing that the person did to you, which is all true. I'm not denying any of it. When we're able to see over that, we're able to know God better. And we're able to love Him better. So this, this freed me. So I want to challenge you to reach out. It's worth it. You see, for us as a church, people are our passion. And this can't be, I can't allow for this to just be a nice slogan. Because if this is not a footnote in scripture, it should never be a footnote in our lives. You see, the knowledge of God and our love for God are so essential. Loving God and loving people 
They're these two pillars that hold the whole thing together. Hey, we could have an amazing service. We could have all the resources in the world. This could be a beautiful place. We could all be beautiful people. It could be so perfect. But if we don't have these two things, none of it matters. This is how we change the world, is by doing these things. Our motivator can't be the person's love for us, because it never will be enough. But Jesus' love, Jesus' love for us. So this week, I want to I wanna challenge you to make that call. You see, as a, as a pastor, there's a couple... Th- I don't die on many hills. Those of you who know me, like, I'll, I'm like, okay, if you want to do that, that's fine. If you want to do that, that's fine. If you want to do that, that's fine. But one of the hills I will absolutely die on is relationships. This is the make or break of our church. And if we're able to overlook the things that Jesus overlooked, we'll change the world. We'll change everything. This is what makes us attractive. It's not the great music or the great preaching or the, all these things. Nope, it's not. You see, in the early church, when people observed the church, it said that they added to their number daily to those who were being saved. They saw something in the church. They were like, I don't know if I even believe everything that they believe, but they got something going on because the way that they love each other, I've never seen that before. It's impossible to love like Jesus loved if we don't overlook the things that affect us directly and look at Jesus as a motivator in our relationships. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you can just close your eyes here for a minute. And we do this every Sunday, but this is a moment for you. And this is a moment where I just want you to take a moment and close your eyes and think about what you've heard. And think about what it is that Jesus is challenging you to do this morning. What is he asking you to do? What have you learned this morning? I, I would not do a good job if I just left it at that. I just, what did you understand this morning? No, it can't be that. What is it specifically that Jesus is asking you to do? You may say, Pastor, this is too hard. I know, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. That's why we always look at Jesus. Whenever we feel like it's too hard, whenever we feel like it's unfair, we always go back to Jesus and to the cross. Because the price that Jesus paid on the cross allows for us to put all of our excuses aside and do the thing that we know that we should do. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful chaos that we're in right now. Thank you, God, because our church has come together and we're here to worship you and hear from you and be challenged by your word. But I want to ask God that you will give opportunities to people in our congregation to reach out, send a text, make a phone call, have a coffee, have dinner, have lunch, something that will allow for us to truly be a reflection of who you are in your essence. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.